So uh, this morning, we're going to be in the letter of Paul to Philemon, or the book of Philemon. So if you want to turn there with me, I'm already there. But so if you guys want, <laughs> when, you, when you're there, say amen. Awesome. As you look at the book or this letter of Philemon, you see a description of living out the gospel. And we ask this question, like, what does it look like? What does it mean to live out the gospel? How does the gospel influence our actions? In a book that makes no mention of Jesus, his life, death, or resurrection, it is clearly illustrated. The gospel declares a personal relationship with God for those who have received Jesus. It also declares a new relationship to our fellow man who has received Jesus and is based in Jesus and outside of social status, race, nationality, political affiliation. It's otherworldly, heavenly. We are brothers and sisters in Christ of the same household with access to the same blessings and inheritance. And Paul is going to, we're going to get like a glimpse of this personal interaction between Paul and a man named Philemon. But it's in this writing of this letter to Philemon that it's not just for him. It's also for the church. So Paul is sending a letter to Philemon who hosts a fellowship of Jesus followers in his home in Colossae. The catch is, is he's sending the letter to Philemon, or with Philemon's runaway slave, Onesimus. Paul led Onesimus to, the pla- to place his allegiance to Jesus and has become a valuable partner to him in the ministry, aiding Paul while in his imprisonment in Rome. Paul's desire is that the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon be reconciled by Philemon's reception of Onesimus as a brother in the Lord, and no longer a slave, but a fellow partner in the ministry and recipient of God's mercy. Let's read the letter together. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Appia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you. Since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. 
I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you. Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with y'all. Be with y'all spirit. That's actually what it says in the Greek too. I said last week when I um, taught that I was kind of fascinated by Paul and his writing to these individuals. And we looked at John's letter to, uh, well, his third letter, um, and seeing the personal uh, letters that were, were in the Bible, these exhortations to brothers and sisters, uh, and how, I don't know, it just brought so much humanity to it. Like we're, we have the same kind of interactions where we're looking to encourage one another in the Lord, we're sharing scriptures, we're saying thanks to each other, we're, you've refreshed one another as we share with each other. And we get a glimpse of what that was like in the early church. And so I was led to Philemon, one of the other letters to an individual. And Paul starts it out, and we see that he's dealing with a pretty significant topic, right? Uh, this broken relationship between two people. So Paul begins his letter like any other letter with a salutation. He writes his name at the beginning and refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he includes Timothy in there as well. Paul will use this term prisoner uh, at least three times in this letter, and that's to kind of emphasize where he's at, why he's writing, but also to show what he has even suffered for the sake of the gospel. But you notice that who he is a prisoner of, right? He's not a prisoner of Rome, which in reality is in prison in Rome, the prisoner of Rome, but he says he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Because it's the sake of preaching the gospel, it's the sake of Jesus' name that he was actually jailed and was taken into captivity that way. 
And we don't know a whole lot of why he includes Timothy, but Timothy was there with him, so why not put him on there? You know? And then we see the addressee as Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. This is who the letter is mainly addressed to and who will be the recipient of the message. But notice that we're also given a couple other people and a group. We have Apphia, our sister. Apphia, some people believe it could have been his wife. There's no way to prove that. But we see that she was a fellow believer, a sister, the term of affection, of relationship. And we also see that Paul, in Christendom, is exalting womanhood. She has a letter addressed to her. In Roman culture, that wouldn't have happened. It would have gone straight through the man. And the man would have had to address his wife. But Paul is able to, in light of what he's going to say, he's exalting womanhood, but also exalting the slave, as we'll see later on. And we see the Archippus, our fellow soldier. Some think he was Philemon's son, potentially. But there, again, there's no way to really know this. And but we do know that he is a fellow soldier, somebody who was engaged in the ministry uh, of, the, of the church. And he's mentioned in Colossians 4 as well. And to the church in your house. So this is a message that was going to go out not only to Philemon, but to all of these people. Because really it's a message for the whole church. You see, Philemon's house was the meeting place for an assembly of believers. This was classic for the early church to meet in homes. We see in Acts that they would have gathered together there to eat and to worship and receive teaching. And from there, they'd go out into the world bearing witness to Jesus wherever they went. When they were gathered together, all were one. Rich and poor, male and female, slave and free, all were full-fledged members of the family of God. There was no distinction. But when they would leave that place of fellowship, go out into the world, those distinctions would reappear. But this would be the opportunity for the church to look different out in the world. And to look different when they were gathered together. But at the Lord's Supper, when they're all gathered together, there was no distinction. Everyone was on the same level. The thing that we want to notice, too, about Philemon, and you see Paul refer to him often as beloved, is that his name means affectionate. And so Paul is almost reminding him of even what his name describes him to be calling him beloved brother, affectionate. I want to draw on who you are for what I'm about to request of you. In his opening line in verse 3, we see that Paul writes, grace to you. After he addresses who the letter is for, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace was a, uh, a, a typical Greek greeting. It's the word charis. And peace was a typical Jewish 
greeting, shalom. And he is saying to both the Greek and the Jew, he's greeting them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he's seeking to greet all people, showing that the church includes all the different types of people, whether Greek or Jew. He's breaking down these these walls of separation that existed for so many years. And God was doing a new work in and through his church. Paul's going to acknowledge now Philemon's good fruit. And we'll be drawing on this later in his message, in his petition for Philemon, or to Philemon, sorry. Let's look in verse 4. It says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love in the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. I thank my God always. This was still very customary of writing letters. Uh, Actually, people will look to Paul's letter to Philemon as a a, a source of a well-written letter of antiquity. It's, you know, this isn't just Bible. It's a reference for people that are studying ancient um, uh, literacy or literature, sorry. And this this prayer, this exhortation of, of what Paul knows and has heard about Philemon, he's thanking God always for. And he's praying for him always. Praying for the leader of the church. Praying for the one that he led to the Lord. We'll see that a little bit later. Because I hear of your love. So Philemon's love, his affectionate behavior towards the church was something that had reached Paul's ears. This is God's agape love that is only poured out into the hearts of of those who have received Jesus to be able to love like he loves. And really, this love was a manifestation of what Paul goes on to say. This is the manifestation of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I keep adding Christ in there, sorry. But the Lord Jesus. You see, the faith is what caused the manifestation. It was the object Jesus in whom his faith was grounded that love poured out from him towards others. Towards the saints. Now, this isn't your iconic saint little pictures and different things. These are, this is what the word tells us believers are called. Holy ones. Set-apart ones. They're saints. And it was the saints that were the objects of this love. So you see that the object of faith was Jesus. And the manifestation of that faith was love. And the ones who received the love were the saints. Philemon's character, his, 
he's already displayed everything that he needs to be able to do what Paul is going to petition him to do soon. But we see in verse 6, he goes, And I pray that the fellowship, that's the word koinonia, it's, it's a partnership, it's a, it's a coming together, a sharing. He goes, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing. Paul is praying for the sharing of partnership of Philemon's faith. He's interested in the fruit that is produced among believers in fellowship and in mutual love. That's what Paul is praying for. He wants to see that grown more and more. It was in that faith in Jesus that this fellowship should grow. That word effective in verse 6, it speaks of, of Philemon's faith being active. We see it used in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 12, where he says that the word of God is living and active. It's the same word there, where this is an active thing. It's something he is pursuing with one another, with the other members of the church in the way in which he is um, loving them, caring for them. It's in the doing we grow and Christ is glorified. It's not just in the coming and receiving and reading of the word, but it's in the actual living it out. It's in taking that fellowship that God has provided through the blood of Jesus Christ for all of us, that, that same relationship and in growing and pouring into one another in which Christ is glorified. You see, that word koinonia, that word fellowship, the word koinonia, in the ancient world, it defined a whole community of persons in which something is shared in common and as essential for life. It defined a whole community of persons in which something is shared in common and as essential for life. In Paul's handling of this word, the community is a koinonia in the sense of sharing a faith and missionary practice. So that's how it's defined. Koinonia takes place where believers recognize that other believers are essential for their well-being. Paul is praying that Philemon's personal faith in Christ would be worked out in appreciation of the important roles that other believers, including Onesimus, have in his spiritual formation in Christ. Has you ever think through that? Why we gather together? It's not just to hear me speak, because I'd rather go listen to somebody else speak if I were you. You know, we get here because we're here to minister to one another. There is something that God's Spirit has poured out into your life that I need. There's something that has poured out into the person next to you that you need. 
and that will grow us and form us into Christ's image. So that means that koinonia then requires a particular understanding of the church's corporate life. God calls each believer into a congregation and provides each with certain gifts and opportunities to minister to other believers so that all may be brought to maturity together in Christ. That's why we gather together. That's why a a night like Wednesday night is so important. That's why each of the Bible studies that we have are so important. We have young adults that happens every other week on a Friday night. We have our men's study that's happening every Tuesday night. We have the women that are about to start theirs. And we have other gatherings that happen, you know, our uh, Sunday night small group. This is where we are looking to grow into maturity, into our walks with Jesus This sense of partnership marks out a congregation's koinonia and is found where persons view one another as equals in worth and importance. How different is that from the world? Where people will step on one another to achieve or to get what they need. Or they deem somebody of less value. It aims at partnership with Christ in God's salvation so that with him we are able to find those resources necessary to enable us to minister, to love, to view one another as important and valuable. This can't happen outside of the Spirit of God working in us. We must receive from him to be able to give out. Christianity is about transformation of the way we see and think about other people. When we begin to view others as those with whom life and faith are shared equally in Christ, arrogance and bigotry are finished. How beautiful and praiseworthy is the life and the fellowship of believers that manifest the love of God through their actions. It's unstoppable. It shines so bright in a dark world. It cannot be ignored. Now, this is how Paul is pumping Philemon up to get him to, to, to lay out what he's going to ask him to do, because this is probably not the, the easiest thing. Let's look at verse 8. This is Paul's request. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. You see, Paul, as an apostle, could have easily ordered Philemon to receive Onesimus back. He could have reminded him of his Christian duty to forgive and restore him. Paul gave Philemon the opportunity to make a choice through his encouragement rather than order. He wanted Philemon to do this as an an act of worship to the Lord rather than just out of duty. And that's what we all have to think about when we engage in any ministry. 
I doing this out of duty or is this an act of worship? I make it part of my prayer when we lead worship that, Lord, let this be an overflow of what we have received from you as we've spent time with you. Not just an act or a, a way to get up here and perform in front of people. But let it be genuine overflow, genuine worship. Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. It's cool to see that after describing the love that Philemon had shown, Paul's going to appeal from the same motive. You know, since I'm such a one, I am such a person as Paul the aged and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's old. He's imprisoned. He goes, I'm going to take... I want to encourage you to do this. I'm not going to be one of those young guys that tries to tell you what to do. <laughs> you know. I appeal to you for my child on this and this. This is the, the appealing right now. Whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. So this is what he wants him to consider in love. Now, in the original Greek text, the verse actually reads more like this. It says, I am imploring you concerning my child, whom I became the father of while in prison, Onesimus. You see how Paul paints that picture and how our, because we have to formulate sentences in a certain way in the English, we kind of rearrange words. Paul is laying out the context of who Onesimus is now. This is Paul's child, of whom I became the father while in prison. So this is where we understand that Onesimus, as a runaway slave, had somehow come to find Paul. There's no real way that we can, you know, we can elaborate different things, but he ended up in Rome and he encounters Paul the prisoner. There's a chance that he had already known about Paul. There's a chance that it was just providence that led him to Paul. But Onesimus, the non-believer, ran away from his Christian master and gets saved. He places his allegiance to Jesus and Paul is saying, this is, this is the Onesimus that left you, but look who he's become. He's my child, whom I have begotten. This shows great affection on the part of the Apostle Paul, but it also now places Onesimus in a whole different context. Paul was also the spiritual father of Philemon. And you get a glimpse of that when he says a little bit later on, you yourself owe me. We get the idea that Philemon had at one point received the Lord through Paul's ministry as well. And now as Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, in more than one way, they're actual spiritual brothers. They received the Lord through the same ministry, the same person that ministered to them, but also because they are in Christ, they are brothers now. 
That means that the whole relationship that once existed was completely different. And you see how it's described. Verse 11 says that who was formerly useless to you, but is now useful both to you and to me. Paul's pointing out an exchange. He once was useless, and now he is useful both to you and to me. And Paul's doing a play on word here because Onesimus actually means uh, profitable or, you know, useful. And, And Paul's going, hey, I know he actually never fulfilled his calling in your hands before, but now in the Lord, he is useful, not only to you, he's not just going to be a better slave to you, which we'll get to that in a little bit, but he actually is an effective minister in helping me in the ministry. When he ran away, he no doubt was considered by Philemon as useless. But in the Lord, he had become more useful and has become a brother. The providence of God had led these two men to the Lord in vastly different places. I want to remind you what we read about Koinonia when it says that he has become a brother. There was... There was a gifting through the Holy Spirit that Onesimus would impart to Philemon and vice versa. That's the depth of the relationship that's being described through brother. And that would work maturity in them both and further equip them to be more effective in ministry. So Paul, he goes, I've sent him back to you. In verse 12, we'll pick this up. I've sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart. Paul says, I'm sending you my bowels. That's the literal word. It's similar to actually when he says in verse 17, actually sending myself. This is, there's something about this relationship with Onesimus that Paul had um, been encouraged by to send uh, somebody to Philemon, the uh, Onesimus, saying, I'm sending my very heart, my affections. And he would actually exhort him to receive him as he would Paul, if Paul were to show up on the scene. He goes, I wish to keep him with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything. So Onesimus had become such a great help to Paul during his imprisonment. He was probably able to run errands for him or be able to to get the messages out. Or he would be able to uh, bring back things that would meet Paul's needs. Paul did have, in his Roman imprisonments, it wasn't, he was chained to a guard, but he kind of had his own place, and he would be able to still function in a lot of ways, but he didn't have the freedom like he did when he was not in prison. And Onesimus had become a great help to him. And Paul states in verse 13 that, that he would have accepted Onesimus on Philemon's behalf. 
to help. But he didn't want to do it without his consent. So Paul is approaching the relationship correctly as well. I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. There's that pointing to an act of worship again. That word free will, it's a, it's a surrendering over um, freely. It's an offering. I wanted this to be of your own free will. Something you were well aware of. Not something that your arm was twisted into. Verse 15. It says, For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while. I like the wording of this. For perhaps. I don't know. I just dwelt on it for a bit. We don't know all of God's ways, right? We don't know why he allows things to happen the way he does. Paul says, in a way, maybe this was why this happened. Maybe this is why he ran away. So that he could be saved and be a part of the ministry, be a part of the church, be a part of the family of God. And it just made me think that I should be careful to trust God through different difficult situations. Don't know what God's trying to work out. I thought about multiple kind of things that I had either observed or experienced myself when I didn't know why God was working in a certain way or prompting my heart in a certain way. I thought about my beloved brother Kephas and his wife Tina in Nigeria, that we as a church support their, their church. Their, um, I think about how he, his story is one where he went to Wales. This is where we met him when uh, Pastor Greg went to Swansea to plant the church there in, uh, in Swansea. And I came along a little bit after, probably a year later. But uh, Kephas had begun going to the church. He had gone from Nigeria to Wales to work. And I believe he was there legally at that moment and soon later became illegal, but continued to work so he could send money home. But it was at that time that the Lord grabbed Kephas's heart and Pastor Greg was able to disciple with him and able to build him up in his faith, correct some false beliefs that had existed from prior life in Nigeria and built him up so that it came to the point that he needed to do what was right. And it wasn't going to be by compulsion we're getting kicked out of the country to go back to Nigeria, but that the Lord had called him back. And we saw, we saw through various circumstances that the Lord would call him back to Nigeria and that we would see him discipled in such a way by Pastor Greg and by another brother, a Nigerian pastor named Prince, uh, of a Calvary Chapel in Abuja to plant Calvary Chapel, Lagos, Nigeria. A brother was gained and a ministry, a fellowship was born. Perhaps Kephas was allowed to be illegal for that time in order to get him trained up so that he can go back home. We don't know what was going on. Perhaps. 
And then an example from my own life is something fairly recent where Heather and I had um, begun to feel the Lord when he had prompted our hearts for a while for foster care. And so we stepped into that, began to become licensed, and then we kind of freaked out. We're like, this is really hard, you know, just uh, learning about everything. It's like, this is not an easy task. And so we took a break and we prayed about it over the winter time. And then came spring of last year and we thought, I think we should keep going, you know. So we put this, we drug this thing out to the fullest. We almost missed it by just a week or so of getting licensed. But perhaps that was the Lord's timing and his direction. Because we would get licensed and then we would pass on the first placement that would be offered to us. We didn't, it wasn't within what we believed we should be um, ministering to. And then we have our, the current siblings that we have right now. I won't say their names because it's online. But uh, we received this um, young girl and her newborn baby brother in October. And we brought baby brother home from the hospital. And we are, um, you know, been taking care of them. We've had them for four months now. But what we didn't know is that in December, Heather would be scrolling on her Instagram feed on a Saturday morning while I'm eating breakfast. And we would see a picture pop up in her friend's, uh, in her feed of baby Jackson the baby. And um, we go, whoa, that's kind of weird. And it was our friends from Calvary Chapel Clayton where we had attended church. And we see all of these details that are lining up. We're like, that can't be, what? And so I text my friend and I go, hey, you know, your wife just posted this photo. Can I ask you a few questions? Sure enough, all these details lined up. And we find out that we're fostering our friend's grandchild. It's like 14,000 kids in the foster care system. You know, we end up with our kids' grandchildren, our friend's grandchildren, kids. God forbid. (laughs) But I just think perhaps... The timing of all these things would lead to us being able to care for them. The pause in our training, the the passing on the first placement. Perhaps that God has brought them into our house for a specific reason for a time. So that maybe in the future, they'll actually be our children forever, our brothers and sisters forever. Paul goes on to describe in the, cha- the change of relationship in verse 16 between Onesimus and Philemon. He says, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. This is another exchange. Paul would have a, I mean, uh, Philemon would have a brother. So 
to touch on this whole thing of slavery because it's a whole nother way to study this letter. Slaves were somewhat of an acceptable thing at the time. There were two ways that they were that we would see them throughout our history. But slaves sometimes would become enslaved to a person to pay a debt or uh, to work out some sort of situation. And in the context of the church, that relationship was to be played out differently. Now, there was a, um, a type of slavery that the, the Bible uh, completely prohibited, and that was the kidnapping and forced labor of somebody. Never, did I, say, I don't know if I said that right. That was never allowed. Let's just put it that way. That was something that was against God's law. And so we know that even in our own history as a nation, that what we saw happening was never something that God ever condoned. And many people would use the Bible to twist, and even this letter to twist it, to say that it was. But this was a different type of relationship. Not forced, not kidnapped. But this was something that even in the context of the church would need to disappear. Paul's request to Philemon, accept Onesimus as a brother, a social equal, a family member, as you would accept me. It's that same word, and look in verse 17, if you then regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. The same word, koinonia, or for fellowship. This would not be easy socially. It would upset people outside of the church for going against the social norm, deal with dealing with a runaway slave, or even some sort of if other slaves heard about this and, and such. We must understand that God's grace rearranges the various convection, conventions and hierarchies that order society's status quo. That is the present evil age. In Romans 12, 2, we read, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be prove what the will of God is. We're not to think like the world. To have a transformed mind means that we operate differently among each other. Galatians 1, 4 it says, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That that is what is happening today. The present evil age organizes itself in hierarchies and status quos. And that's not how the churches they operate. The biblical believers then are not surprised that the great majority of social transformation movements, such as the 19th century women's suffrage and abolitionist movements and the 20th century human rights and pro-life movements are deeply rooted in Christian teaching and indebted to the work of faithful Christians. This would also be a tremendous way to display the gospel to an onlooking believe, uh, onlooking believers and also non-believers, to truly see what is taught that there is no distinction between slave and free in the new kingdom, as participants in the new humanity, 
We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We look different. The spiritual well-being of the congregation will always be demonstrated publicly by the well-being of its social relationships. This also would give Philemon an opportunity to grow personally. He was already a man of faith and love, impacting lives around him, but he has an opportunity to exercise that faith and act in love in a profound way that he hadn't already. So Paul lays it out. And then Paul will go on to exemplify the gospel. Look at verse 18 with me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'm signing the check. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me. You owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. That's Paul's third exchange. I'll take the debt. I'll take what he owes. And it's in this that Paul is exemplifying Christ. Taking a debt he did not owe, on behalf of one who could not pay in order to reconcile the two men. Christ took our debt of sin on himself, a debt that we could not owe or could not pay in order to reconcile us to the Father. And we are received into his family as sons and daughters. But this... This would require a sort of death. It's always part of the process of reconciliation, a dying to self. But look what it does here in verse 20. Yes, brother, he calls him brother again. I believe that's the third or fourth time. Let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. Paul asked for Philemon's refreshing, like he had done earlier on in verse 7. It says how he refreshed the saints by his living. Paul's like, do the same to me. Refresh me by doing this. It's that appeal of love. He owed Paul the debt of graciously reconciling with Onesimus. Because Paul had led him to be reconciled with God. Each demand Paul makes aids Philemon in understanding that Christ's exchange for him must be concretely demonstrated. One, by welcoming the slave home as an equal partner, koinonios, in the koinonia, the fellowship of the congregation's life. So that exchange was to be demonstrated by welcoming home his slave. Or by paying another's debt. Paul was going to pay that debt. Or by showing compassion, which is the word that is used there in verse 20, my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart. Just pour out compassion in Christ toward another. Or by providing a room in his home to a guest. 
These were all ways and requirements of being a new creature in Christ. That welcoming, that loving, the hospitality, the grace that was shown. They're all things that should be prevalent in the new creature in Christ. The final greeting here in verse 21 through 25, it says, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Maybe Paul was hoping that Onesimus would be sent back to him. Or there would just be this grand reception, like the prodigal son, for Onesimus. He wanted to see... He knew that what Onesimus, or that what Philemon would do would be something greater. And at the time, at the same time, also prepare a lodging. For I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Paul's saying, expect me. I want to see how it went. He's going to follow up with the situation. How it's going in the church's fellowship. I want to see how this has actually impacted the other people in the church how you've received Onesimus. Because there, in, in a brother doing that, there's no way it could have been, the impact couldn't have been felt by the rest of the church. And so the final salutation is Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ greets you. So Epaphras was with uh, Paul in prison. It's like, what's up, bro? As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the all men that were with him serving in the ministry. And he says, and wraps it up with this, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, be with y'all's spirit. It's a plural, and we, we just don't have, we use it in the South, I guess, you know. Maybe the Northerners don't have it in their vocabulary, but... Y'all's, it's plural form of you, you all. Christ be with you all, Spirit. So though this was a letter that was concentrated at Philemon and his situation, the whole congregation would need the grace. And that it would be through God's grace that they would be able to receive one unto themselves. I remind you that there is no mention of Jesus' death and resurrection in this letter. Because Paul acts it out. Paul is coaching, if you would, Philemon. He's leading him in this way of dying to self that there might be new life and relationship. The implication of the gospel are are personal. We come to the Lord individually, but they're never private. Jesus' family is a new humanity of equal partners who share together in God's healing ministry. So what are the implications today? First, this message was for the whole church. Philemon would have to lead in action, but the whole church would have to follow. This reconciliation was all theirs too. So when, we all, when one person's going through something, we come together. You know, like many churches today, they might have uh, pastors that go one direction and the whole group goes with them. But Philemon was to lead an example of God's love. We also see the power of the gospel to bring reconciliation. 
It's a great and wonderful idea until you have to do it. It's an ideal in some ways because people don't ever follow it through. It's hard work, reconciliation. It's hard work facing difficulties in relationship. But you have to press through. You have to keep going. And, we, and there will be fruit. But the one question that we could ask ourselves is how do we live out these relationships in the power of the gospel? You know, what would it look like if God was calling me to reconcile the relationship right now? Well, let's look at one last scripture here. It's in Colossians 3, and I'll read through it. Starting at verse 10, it says, And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freedman, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I think he sums up what he all that he had just said right before that in verse 17. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you can say that what you are doing is in the name of the Lord Jesus, then you're on a right track. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for the work that you have done in reconciling us to yourself through the Son. That on the cross... All our sins were dealt with. All our debt was paid. Lord, and you have given us a new relationship with the Father. Lord, I pray that you would empower us by your Spirit, Lord, to operate through your Spirit among ourselves, Lord, ministering to one another in a way that glorifies you, Lord, that produces fruit that glorifies you. I pray, Lord, that anything that came across as abstract today or whatever, Lord, you would just clarify. Lord, just your spirit working in us to love one another, to forgive one another, Lord, to be thankful, to do everything that we do, Lord, in your name. Forgive us in the areas we fall short. Renew our minds, Lord. Transform our minds to have your mind. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name this morning.